Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cast Dice, the podcast that explores the great big wild world of tabletop gaming that currently exists. It has been said many times, mostly on this podcast, that we are in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are just too many tabletop games out there for us to spend our hobby time and our hobby dollars on, and it can lead to a serious case of... You know, fear of missing out or, you know, not not knowing what to play next. There are just too many good games for us to be playing. And uh, that in mind, that is the purpose of this podcast, is to talk about the games that my guests and I play, things that both my guests and I are passionate about, and, you know, industry events and uh, global toy soldier tournaments, events, and other things that uh, people uh, who play these games might be interested in. Now, uh, you folks who have been listening for a while now uh, will know that I occasionally do episodes about things that I'm really passionate about. Uh, Case in point, there's been a few episodes about G.I. Joe of late. Um, How, you know, the comic books uh, sort of inspired me to get into toy soldiers when I was a kid. uh, And how I've been trying to put those uh, models or sorry, to recreate the models that I played with as a kid um, and to play with them as an adult using rules like bolt action, for example. Well, today we're going to look at another sort of intellectual property, another fan favorite, and I have some pretty cool guests to talk about it. But before, um, before we get into that, let's talk about who is on to start with. Um, now, I have uh, had the... The great luck to have talked to several people that I'm fans of their podcast in the past. And today is another example of how it's really cool to hear someone's voice and then have them actually respond to what I say rather than me just, you know, listening to them on a podcast. Um, this gentleman, if you've listened to the episode where I talked about Never Say Never Again and Big Trouble in Little China, you would know that I talked to Jared Albrecht, the yard sale artist. Um, and he's been on a million different podcasts. And that is always sort of a running joke. Well, <laughs> rather than um, having Jared on for this episode, and of course, Jared's always welcome to come back, um, for today's subject, I thought it would be perfect to have one of his uh, compatriots, his uh, podcasters in crime, so to speak, uh, a man who has more online monikers than anyone I've ever had on the show. So let's see if I can get some of them right. Uh, let's see, Felix Leiter, Pop Pop Hiss, uh, the dark web himself, Delvin Williams, welcome to Cast Ice. Well, thank you so much for having me. Uh, all those check, uh, by the way. Um, I think uh, Jared wants to add a new one, Hot Thing, coming up based <laughs> off of um, you know him playing around. Just, it's, it, it's completely out of control, that, that's for certain. <laughs> well, with Jared, I can imagine that that occasionally happens, uh, given the man's uh, immense sense of humor. Uh, it, <laughs> that, he is a perfect guest because it is ne- he just has a joke for everything. It's great. Don't tell him he's funny. It just goes to his head. <laughs> right on. All right. Well, let's before we get to our other guest, um, let's quickly run through some of the places that people can hear your voice, because there are quite a few. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, I am all over the Longbox Crusade network. Uh, mm-hmm. We have a few shows. Uh, Longbox Crusade is... Uh, a long form version of where we pick a day and month. We have Crusader Chronicles where we're going chronologically through Pat Sampson's collection. 
I host Transformers Chronicles, uh, which is going through the Marvel years of Transformers comics. We have Saturday matinee theater uh, as well. Uh, and let's see. Oh, uh, I am forgetting uh, Jared and Jason's show, even though I'm not on it. Uh, Action Film Face-Off. And one more, uh, on Her Majesty's Secret Podcast, uh, it's on a different network, White Rocket Entertainment, but we're talking about uh, the James Bond movies uh, from a newcomer's perspective, and I'm one of the newcomers. I was going to say, and you are one of the newcomers, because the Albrecht brothers play the old hats that have seen it a million times, and you and Pat come in as uh, sort of a fresh perspective uh, to look at things. Yeah, that's correct. And uh, it, that's been fun because there are sometimes me being a new guy, I have an opinion and I get <laughs> attacked. Yes, you by, do. <laughs> by either Jason or other or passionate members of uh, the Bond universe. But it's opened up our, a whole new world for me. And it, it's cool to, to see that people have passion like that. Yeah, it is. And it is funny to see uh, because, you know, as a longtime Bond fan myself, you know, you kind of. There are certain sort of fan etiquette, uh, popular opinions that you, you sort of get used to. And then when you yeah. actually do hear that new perspective, uh, occasionally, you know, I, I'm, I start yelling at my, you know, my phone as I'm listening through my headset on the, way, on, the, on the commute to work going, come on, you can't say that. But then, of course, you can because it's your perspective. Um, can, can you give me one example? I would love to hear one example. Uh, one thing that you said or, well, sure. I... Oh God! Um, now, oh no, no, no! Uh, so it was. Um, didn't you say you did not like the theme song to "A View to a Kill"? Or am I making that up? Uh, no, not "A View to to a Kill." What I, I I'll tell you one thing I said that I know that Jason was like all oh, like and still was like all oh, and that was for your eyes only. Yes, that's what it was. <laughs> Like, which I, I think the song is great. The song is fine. Yeah. But when I said, I was like, I don't really think it's much of a Bond song. I, I got stared at somehow <laughs> by a podcast. It, yes, was, it was amazing. Exactly. 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 Well, we do have another guest. And speaking of Jason, um, our other guest is also named Jason. Uh, and if you've been listening in recent months, you would have heard this man's voice several times. Uh, you would know him perhaps as one of my favorite, if not my favorite bloggers, uh, a man whose work, God, I wish I could paint as fast as he does and have things look as good as he does. Uh, of course, Dr. Mercury himself. Jason, welcome back to Cast Ice. Hello. Thanks for having me. Man, it is always a pleasure to have you back. Um, how is it possible that you have uh, put out a possibly 12 months, if not 24 months worth of material on your blog, and you were literally here six weeks ago? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I, I guess part of it would, would be the technology. You know, it's so much easier to upload posts now than it was before. Yeah, it used to be true. this long convoluted process of taking pictures with your digital camera and then transferring mm -hmm. it to your laptop or your tower. But now, I mean, everything I just do right from my phone. Yeah. And I'm more talking about your ability to uh, design 3D print models, um, uh. as in vehicles for <laughs> Masters of the Universe, vehicles for G.I. Joe, vehicles for Transformers. Right. I mean, maybe not Transformers. Oh, no, Transformers. You did the arc. Um, yeah. And you've done all of these things, and then, you know, they magically appeared printed, painted to a high-quality standard, and then battle reports where you're playing with them. It's astonishing. Right. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I think a lot of it, like, um, 
I think I mentioned before that when I work, I, I tend to work in batches. So there's a lot of different things that are in motion at the same time. Yeah. And then as I work my way through a batch, I parcel it out into, um, you know, content that I then put out to other, you know, other media. So it's all like the wheels are constantly moving. I hear you, brother. I hear you. Yeah, I, uh, I aspire to be as uh, prolific with my posting as you do. But, uh, you know, I suppose I, I spend think. that time on podcasting. <laughs> well, speaking of podcasting, let's get to today's subject. Now, um, I have talked quite a lot about uh, my love of G.I. Joe over the years. And I have mentioned several times that uh, I grew up in Japan. And that is going to slightly shift the way I look at today's content uh, or sorry, our subject, uh, but uh, we're going to come back to our main topic, which relates to Delvin's podcast about Transformers, the early Marvel years, the comics, because today we're going to talk about something that more than meets the eye, um, you know, see if we get the spark, and uh, we're going to talk Transformers. So I guess a good place to start would be, um, Delvin, what is your love of Transformers? Because I know for you it's a revisitation of uh, something that you loved early in life. Yeah, um, I can tell you where it started. Let's let's go with origin stories. Those are always good uh, concerning comic books. Mm -hmm. uh, my, mom, um, my mom took me to a drugstore one day. I was really looking for uh, buying a Transformers comic book. I was an eight-year-old kid mm -hmm. with about $6 in his pocket, so clearly the richest kid. I was insane. You were rich, man. <laughs> that is rich. And so I, I went looking. I, I I went looking for toys, even though I knew there weren't any in the drugstore. And so I'm like, what am I gonna get to spend my money on? And I was walking through, and thankfully grew up at a great time because there was a comic book um, comic book rack, and mm -hmm. sure enough, there was a Transformers comic there. Uh, it was issue 24, and in that issue, uh, Optimus Prime died. He got blown up. Oof. So my mom inadvertently created a monster because <laughs> I read this book and I'm like, okay, Optimus Prime can't be dead, right? This is a joke. Mm -hmm. that, no, there, there's no way they actually mean this. And so I had to go get the next issue, then the next issue. Mm -hmm. And so it became a monthly thing of me bugging mom to like take me to either the drugstore or the grocery store to find the next comic book. She created a lifelong addiction. Happens to the best of us. Happens to the best of us. And, and so you were clearly a fan of the uh, the toys first. Yes. Um, I always liked them. I, I, I don't know what it is about it. Maybe it's because it could be one toy and then transform into something else. They also did just really cool things where like, I some of the earlier toys I had was Soundwave. I had Perceptor, mm -hmm. uh, which was the microscope. It actually was a functioning microscope. So cool. Yeah, yeah, like they did, they did like cool, awesome things like that, and so it they it captured my imagination, and I wanted Transformers more than I wanted any other toy uh, as a kid growing up. Yeah, I um I I fell down the GI Joe hole hard, but um that I'll get to mine in a second, and I know Jason, you also did the GI Joe with some other toys in there as well. How did you come to Transformers? Because I know that you're also a fan. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking back, and I'm trying to remember, like, which even was the first one I got. And I want to say it was Megatron. I think it was one of those yes. deals where, you know, my my dad had me out at the mall, and we were at, like, KB Hobbies or KB mm -hmm. Toys or something. 
And that was there. And, you know, I, I loved every toy that was out back then, you know, oh, yeah. Rogers, whatever, you know, all the stuff. So when those came out, I mean, they were beautifully boxed. The art was excellent. You know, yeah. it was really cool looking stuff. And that Megatron um, toy was, you know, it was incredible. You know, it had like a stock that you can attach and all this different mm -hmm. stuff. You know, scope that could go on, scope that could come off. So he ended up buying that for me, and that was before the cartoons even came out. You know, and Dad probably wanted to see what it was all about, too, to be honest. Yeah. So uh, so that was probably my first one. And then I think my second one after that was probably Optimus Prime and then Soundwave. So those were, like, my first three that I remember having. Oh, and then, you know, from there, like, when I got my own money, you know, from doing chores or whatever, then I would pick up like the smaller ones like Cliff Jumper, Bumblebee, mm -hmm. or uh, Gears, or you know, uh, Brawn was always one of my favorites from from the original series. So, mm -hmm. but yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty much how it started. And then, uh, you know, when the cartoon came out, then you know, just like they intended, the buying increased. You know, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love the cartoon, and then wanted to have you know all the same characters that you would see in the cartoon as well. And uh, and then from there, like, uh, you know, as I became introduced to comic books, that was one of the first books that I had a box for was G.I. Joe and Transformers, you know, and I mm -hmm. remember that first four original miniseries that they put out was great. Yeah, it was. And so number four, or number five is the one with Shockwave number on five. the cover. Yeah, it was the post. Yeah. Um, it was just after the miniseries when they turned it into the unlimited series with that great cover. Uh, the Transformers yes. yeah. are dead. Uh, yeah, which yeah. was my first Transformers comic. Earl Norm. Yeah, uh, Delvin, you guys just talked yeah. about that issue. Who did that cover? It was uh, M. D. Bright. Okay. M. D. Bright. Okay. There you go. Um, or Mark yeah, that Bright. That was a gorgeous and, cover. And man, I I I got blessed out by uh, the listeners because I was like, man, I don't I don't really know his name, and people like he he did Green Lantern in the eighties and all this cool stuff. Like, Sorry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. <laughs> I've never, uh, I've never been. I think you'll find it by fans of this show. I, uh, today, at least. Um, yeah, that's the. No, that's not what that is. Oh, sorry, sorry. Uh, people get passionate about these things. Lord knows I don't. Yes, they do. Yeah. He says uh, sarcastically. <laughs> yeah. So weirdly, I grew up, as I said, in Japan, and so I had this weird. Um, I my first Transformer was pre-cartoon. Um, and pre-comic and it wasn't it was pre-transformer um, because uh -huh. a lot of those toys belong to Japanese comic or sorry uh, toy ranges and they were bought and repurposed um, in the US as one line um, and then they were developed into their own toy line so I think my first transformer may not actually exist in canon it was a red sports car I think it looked like a Datsun uh, or a Nissan or whatever you wanted it to look like back, uh, what you'd call it back then. Um, but yeah, so that was my first one and I played with it forever. And then one day I was in, uh, I think a, a shop and I looked on a shelf and it looked like the packaging because they, they use similar packaging to some of the Japanese toys and I went, Oh my God, I, I know that guy. I've seen, the, I've seen this before. Um, and I was super excited and, um, I got uh, Soundwave that day, and uh, oh. that started my love of Transformers. And I have very few Transformer toys, but I had a crud load of the comics because I really enjoyed it. And um, one of my best friends growing up, Henry, had a ton of the Transformer toys. He had Optimus Prime. He had all the Autobots. 
Um, but I had, and you guys are going to have to help me with this, the sports car mm-hmm. with the Italian stickers on it. It's white. Um, trans- Jack. Uh, Wheeljack? Wheeljack. Not, yeah, I was going to say not Jazz because he's the Porsche, right? He is the right. Yeah. yeah. So it, Wheeljack. Yeah. So Wheeljack was, I think, my only Autobot. Um, but then I had um, Soundwave and a ton of the cassettes. Um, but yeah. But yeah, man, those early toys were so good. Um, and it just, you know, it just I loved playing with them. I'm sure. I guess I had a couple of the triple changers uh, and a couple of the Constructicons. Um, but I had sort of the company that created the Constructicons. Um, I think they were also a Japanese toy because the Japanese were big on combiners, which is kind of where you got the idea for Voltron and some of the like Power Rangers, because those were all original Japanese ideas that were redone a thousand times in Japan that were sort of done here once. Um, and so right. I had the Constructicon like set the version of that, except they were Japanese trains. Um, Hmm. and so I always loved playing with that, but of course it was never technically part of the Transformers, but it was literally looked like it. And people were always asking, where did you get this Transformer? And I went, uh, I don't think it's technically a Transformer, but yeah, same sort of idea. So I, I love the IP and the, the story of it, but I always sort of had this weird skirting around the edge, which is why I thought I would have some experts on today. Um, Delvin, do you want to tell us a little bit about the early Marvel comics um, and how that all sort of played out? And then maybe we'll go into what happened after that. Um, so what what do you like about the Marvel comics? Clearly, you liked it enough to not only be a big fan as a kid, but to come back in as a, an adult and to actually go through issue by issue and talk about it. Yeah. Um, so I, I'll start by talking about uh, the toys that made us. They came out with a uh, was it Hulu, mm-hmm. a show that uh, talked about the Transformers. Is that Net- and Netflix here? But yeah, was it Netflix? Nope. Then it was Netflix. Um, it was like hearing that as an adult. It almost kind of made me sad because it shouldn't surprise any adult. But they were basically saying that they came out with the Transformers a comic line just as a way to sell toys. Yeah. And, and and then they came out with Transformers the movie, which, you know, I remember and most people remember because Optimus Prime was mm-hmm. brutally killed. Yes. <laughs> I, I mean, to the point where he, I mean, turned gray and the Matrix is falling from his hands. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and they did that just to bring up a new line of toys. You hear that and it's just and it's and it's kind of sad to you, but like so let's let's ignore that part of it. And and so the the joy that I got from it is just seeing a lot of the toys either either I I got to play with once over somebody's house or never got to play with, and Mm -hmm. that they were involved in kind of this big old drama. And and that was cool. I, I it got it it took my imagination and it just put it in print. And I would read these comic books so much that I mean I would I, I completely wore them thin. I think I have all eighty of the original uh, run now, but I know I had to rebuy several because I I wore those things mm-hmm. out. They were absolute tatters. And um, so Bob Budiansky wrote about the first. 
uh, 50 or so uh, issues of the book, Simon Furman, the British author, came on and closed out the book the last two years fantastically. He built up to a war against uh, Unicron. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, the absolute world eater, Galactus Transformers version. Mm-hmm. And and, af- and after that war, there was kind of a little bit of unrest where the Autobots and Decepticons were sort of united and broke apart a little bit. And at the end, the Autobots were mostly um, victorious. Uh, so that's about the end of the first 80 uh, or, or so issues. Of course, that's skipping a ton of history and all that and storylines, but that that's the main gist of it. Yeah, I mean, to go back at those books, um, especially in that first run, I think when Bud Budiansky um, was trying to explain the universe, um, it occurred to me, uh, and I think you've talked about it on your show, that those early comic books were walls of text. It was almost as, it felt like, at least to read, it almost felt like, like as much word as it was picture, um, which for a graphic text, you know, a comic book for kids, man, I remember struggling through some of those early books um, as a little kid trying to figure out, you know, I, I basically learned to read by reading game books and comic books. And so for that, yeah. uh, that was t- tough, especially since I was so used to like Larry Hama and Spider-Man. I mean, there was <laughs> going to the Transformers was rough. Um, got oh, me ready yeah. for Chris. Got me ready for uh, Chris Claremont's X Men, though. Man, I was ready. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, d- is that sort yeah. of how you remember him as well? See, I got I got an education when John uh, John the Schaefer Hames, mm-hmm. uh, who we call the expert on the on the book, because man, he knows a lot about Transformers too. If you're ever looking for somebody else to talk again, he's definitely your guy. Nice. Um, him, um, Pat, and I got together and started talking about the show. I realized that I bought Transformers one, and if I read it, I didn't even remember reading it because as a kid. I jumped, I told you I jumped on about 24, Mm -hmm. uh, episode, excuse me, issue 24, and I picked up some of the past issues, and I never read one until we uh, covered it on the book, and yeah, it was verbose. Yes. (laughs) And and it, it had to be, I understand why, because in one book, they introduced about 30 some odd characters. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is just insane. You're not supposed to do that. No. And it, and it, it is, and it's talking about you know the mission specs and all that stuff that you needed to know about these transformers, but it came across as, pardon the pun, robotic. Ah, uh, nice. So, yeah, it, it took it, it took a little bit of time for the book to find its legging from having to describe all of the transformers every single time and to remind everyone what it is they do. And, and they, they stopped doing it about issue five. Yeah. Is that when a new editor came on or did, is that just because they realized they have some more leg room because it's a, 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 an unlimited book? Yeah. They made the decision sometime around, I'm going to assume either three or four. They're like, look, this is selling and we're going to make a run at it. And that's when, because there are enough people demanding it that, yeah, you didn't have to do the expository stuff like you would in, say, a four-issue miniseries. Mm-hmm. It, it was given room to breathe. And 
Uh, they put Bob Budiansky, who was editor at the time, they put him on as the writer of the book. And uh, a more uh, extensive storyline started to be told. Nice. Now, that, of course, is way more complex than um, the, I guess, the comic, I'm sorry, the cartoon did a way better job of um, sort of introducing a million characters and not making it seem outrageous. I guess G.I. Joe, there was a million characters, but they were trickled in and they, um, it was, a, I guess, it's the world we know. And to a degree, that's the case with Transformers, but it, I think it takes a little bit longer to explain why there are giant robots that turn into cars and jets versus, you know, uh, an, uh, an evil terrorist organization that's trying to take over the world. We all know that from Bond right. movies, for example. So, um, Jason, was that your experience with the cartoons? I mean, what did you love about yeah, it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I think they introduced the characters a little bit more easily in the cartoons. And I think, too, like if you read through the cartoons and, and this even translates over to like the Joe stuff where they went through like different periods of time with the writers where they would change focal points. So you'd have a large cast of characters and maybe the focal point for, you know, four or five episodes would be heavy for dialogue for like Bumblebee or Hound or someone else that they mm -hmm. would you know, develop as a character. And then they would switch to other characters that they would bring in as leads. Mm -hmm. So I think they had more of that space there to develop that team, you know, and, and show you more characters at, over a period of time than, uh, like, like Devlin was saying, you know, where you have that four-part miniseries where, you know, probably the guy that gave it to, you know, the, the editor that gave it to the writers was like, hey, everything's got to be in there. <laughs> yeah. You know, these toys have to sell. And you got four issues to fit it all in, so make sure everything fits, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, and look, I'll so be honest. Probably, as someone who yeah. uh, talks way too much and writes probably more verbosely than I speak, um, if had I been given that, there probably would have been no pictures and would have been all words. So you know, <laughs> solid text blocks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think of, you guys mentioned, uh, uh, you know, Chris Claremont stuff. I think uh, Matt Wagner too. You know, his mm -hmm. Grendel books. Oh yeah. You have some panels where it's just like almost solid dialogue from from what I remember reading his 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 uh, issues also. Not to but yeah, not to show my age here, but um, there, Marvel had a run of joke comic books called What the, and um, there were a oh, few I issues where they would make sort of fun <laughs> of that and have you know entire yeah. panels of writing and like a little tiny right. picture of the character talking in the corner, and you were just gone. You know, you would never see that in a conventional comic. Um, at least not right. in Western world, because uh, in Japan, uh, having read those comics, uh, yes, yeah. they, they would absolutely have no problem with filling in a wall of page uh, of text <laughs> right. and having someone sitting in the corner sort of with their finger up saying, the, let me tell you a story about this. And then it would just be a wall of text. And you go, OK, well, right. you don't see that in, you know, Western comics so much, sure. at least back then. Right. So, yeah, I guess to go back to what uh, Delvin was saying uh the, it, it built up to a the massive uh, war with Unicron, um, but I, and there were lots of little conflicts, especially you know the soap opera esque um, notions of. I mean, there's more infighting in the Decepticons than there were in Cobra comics, you know, Cobra and G.I. Joe in the 80s. And that's saying something because Cobra Commander died. I don't know how many times, um, constantly getting backstabbed, but. If we uh, if we think about it, uh, there were a couple of big major conflicts, um, and then that's sort of, as you said, sort of led up to the big battle in the Marvel years. Um, 
And then it was continued through IDW. Um, now, Jason, you've read a lot of the those books, and they're sort of condensed into almost uh, runs that could be put out as graphic novels, um, which is sort of the new modern comic way. Um, are there some notable conflicts or notable events in those books um, that y- you really enjoy as someone who reads those? Yeah, I would say um, those were those were stories that were introduced to me by me introducing my daughter to Transformers. She started collecting comics that were, you know, more recent in print. So through her, I got introduced to the stories like All Hail Megatron, or a lot mm-hmm. of the characters developed by um, James Roberts, who's a pretty prolific writer for IDW for the Transformer series. And uh, Lost Light was probably the first um, of those trades those story arcs i got introduced to and they're really really like very well written and uh it takes you away from the concept of it really being a toy franchise to being a much broader story um with his writing style he runs you know almost like a game of thrones style you know rr martin style of writing where he runs a lot of various plot lines across a long spread of books that then he connects throughout those books as it progresses and uh, he takes a much more like in-depth look, I think, at the characters too. Where this, you know, a lot of things are taking place, at least in the Lost Light series, post the Cybertronium War. So you actually have like uh, a peace accord that's made between the Autobots and the Decepticons, and they're now looking for the original founders of Cybertron. And uh, this ship that they're taking out, the Lost Light, is uh, is something that's been put together by Rodimus to try to go out now and find the original founders of Cybertron. And both Decepticons, more or less former Decepticons, as well as Autobots, um, volunteer to join in this group, which is like a, you know, an expeditionary mission. So it's almost got like a Star Trek aspect to it, too. Mm-hmm. And you have everything from like uh, the Wreckers, you know, one of the former Wreckers, which were like these Autobot, I want to say like... Um, almost like SAS commandos. Yeah, say, they were not the they the that did dirty, the dirty dozen? Yeah. Yeah, they were like the dirty dozen of the Autobots. So they have one of these guys in, and he's like a straight-up sociopath, you know? Even <laughs> though he's an Autobot, it's a very fine line between him being a good character and being a bad character. He's actually, I would say, more aligned to evil than he is good. And then you have someone like um, Cyclonus, who is an, uh, an old war veteran, who basically feels that he served his time in the war and sees nothing wrong with anything that he did. And through the peace accords, you know, he's not tried or put on trial for anything for war crimes. And he joins that group as well. So you have all these different personalities, as well as like a character that was buried for like 300 years that they found (laughs) that, that, that then is brought aboard the ship as well. So nice. it, it's a really interesting series. It's very well done. Now, Cyclonus was one of the Jets, right? It wasn't. It wasn't like Thundercracker, like the first generation Jets. It was. Um, it was when they introduced like Rodimus. Wasn't he one of the new flying like jet from the movie? He, he was one of the. Yeah, he was one of the ones that Unicron. There's like uh, there's a whole like big thing about it where <laughs> who who Unicron actually turned into Cyclonus. It was either Thundercracker or I think one of the Insecticons. It's it's a weird story arc, but okay. according to the cartoon story arc, one of those flyers then became Cyclonus. Yep. Nice. Yeah. Delvin, do you know? 
Uh, I can't remember which one. Okay. I think, Jay, but Jason is on to it. And I think even in the comic book, what they did is just create separate characters. And I don't know how they explained it, but there is a Cyclonus and there's still like the secret jets, like your Thundercracker. And and I think maybe Bombshell was who they changed them into in the, mm. in the uh, movie. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I love how, I mean, and I know that um, the series that Delvin's covering in his show is the original series. And as we've sort of alluded to back, um, or Delvin was talking about with, the, with the, uh, the Toys That Made Us show, is by watching that, I mean, and I know that Larry Hama's been saying this recently as well with the G.I. Joe books, not to keep bringing up Joe, but um, a lot of those books were written to sell toys. And so when new toys came out, older toys sort of got shunted out um, and, you know, different characters would either die or sort of fade off in the distance or outright retire. Um, and in this case, um, once the toys runs kind of ended, I know they're still putting out new Transformers, but from my understanding, the IDW books are far more free to revisit um characters that maybe the writers would rather write about rather than the new hotness that they have to sell. Um, is that your understanding, Jason? Yeah. And, and I think so too, like there's a much more adult theme that they take in those comics as well. So you have things like Cyclonus actually forms a relationship with another, with an Autobot and, you know, they don't really address gender in those comics per se, but they're, you know, they're both of the same gender. So you have that relationship that forms in the Lost Light series. And then you also have um, other things where there's different, like almost religious sects within the Cybertronians, where some of the Cybertronians, uh, they call themselves like single function Cybertronians. They only believe that you are whatever you're born or you were created for is your only function in life. And it actually ties into like Megatron's origin story because Megatron in that environment, in that series, his origin story is he starts out basically as like a miner and he's been designated to do mining for his entire existence. And you have to think about too, from like a transformer perspective where they don't, they don't have like a, a, a lifespan per se. So if you live in a single function society and you were designated to be a miner, that means you're in a miner for eternity. Ooh, millions so basically and millions what years. millions and millions of years. So it actually creates almost like, you know, to refer back to R.R. Martin, where he could take, you know, characters that were very notorious and then make you empathic towards them. Mm. You get that same kind of response where suddenly, you know, Megatron, you're like empathic to, okay, well, I can understand, you know, why he's making these choices. And, you know, I can I can understand what he's doing. And then you see, like, from his other choices that he makes, the darker road that he goes down. But basically, the, the Decepticons originally started out as like a rebellion against single function, you know, the thought process of single function. And then from there, actual Decepticonism, which is like an actual form of government that Megatron creates, is this form of government that's almost fascist where they don't, they believe all organic life is inferior. So he takes it from being, you know, at first anti-single function to then becoming like, you know, Decepticonism. So... It's pretty interesting. Yeah. That is incredibly complex. Yes. Yeah. And it gets even more complex because what happens, you know, I don't, don't want to give you like a ton of spoilers in the series, but so there's when that peace accord comes out, Megatron is, you know, part of the peace accords is he's not tried, but he also becomes repentant. 
So when he becomes repentant, he rejects Decepticonism, embraces not, he doesn't necessarily embrace the Autobots view of life, but he becomes someone that's more like politically neutral and is repentant for what he's done. And then you have Decepticons that refuse to accept that Megatron rejected Decepticonism. (laughs) Oh, wow. So they form other factions. Yeah. And so Megatron try to. Megatron yeah, is basically ahead. Malcolm X. Yeah, yeah, to to a large degree. Yeah. Wow. It's so who then runs story. the like Decepticons? I, said, I suppose. So the Decepticons. I'm trying to remember the one's name, but he actually takes the Decepticon symbol as a mask, and wears that as his visage. And I'm trying to remember his name. I can't. Rem- I, I want to say Talon, but I don't think that's correct. But okay. he has instead of one single fusion cannon on his arm like Megatron had, he has dual fusion cannons on his one arm. And they're like much, much more cutthroat than the original Decepticons were. Because, you know, it's one of those things where they're actually, they're trying to make something exist past past its point of existence, you know, to get into like a deeper, more philosophical viewpoint of it. You know, they can't accept that Megatron rejected his own ideology that they accepted. So, and because of that too, like they need to kill Megatron to show other Decepticons that, you know, they're now the ones that are carrying the the light, the torch. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, that's, and with James Roberts, that's just one story arc. Oh, Jesus. Okay. (laughs) You know, yeah. Well, it definitely got a lot more complex, I would say, than the Marvel years, um, at least from my rem- my memory of the books and having read a few recently. But man, those Marvel books are a lot darker than I remember, too. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Circuit Breaker, remember her? Yeah. 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 Circuit Breaker was... She was uh, like crippled, yeah. Yeah, she was, she was crippled by... The Decepticons, she then decided that all of them were bad. <laughs> and, I mean, and if you kind of couch it in present-day terms, she clearly had severe PTSD as a result mm-hmm. of right. what went on with the Decepticons, and she just hates all robotic life, and she just yeah. went crazy. Yeah, I mean, just... I mean, take if we take a back step from this, I mean, I remember loving the original black and white Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle comics way back when. And I'm sure we'll talk about that on a future episode of Cast Ice. Um, and, you know, Joe had its had its moments. But having been an avid Marvel fan for years and years and years, I don't think anything ever got as dark as what we're talking about today. At least, not really. I mean, even through Scourge, um, you know, hunting down supervillains in the Marvel Universe and Cap trying to stop them and things like that. I mean, (laughs) these are brutal (laughs) story arcs. And who would have thought that, you know, we would get into such deep philosophical thought and conversation talking about robots that transform into cars? Um, Right. Wow. Well, and the the cool thing about it is it, you can do a lot more things with robots than you can with human beings. That's true. Right. Yeah. And it makes it a very safe metaphor for the storytelling. Yeah. Yeah, it sure does. Because uh, we're in a storyline now uh, with Transformers Chronicles where Optimus Prime's head has been severed. 
That's right. Like, he, like <laughs> yeah, you, you've got Megatron fighting Shockwave for leadership of the Decepticons, but you've got all the Autobots basically hanging up like slabs of beef. <laughs> yeah, right. And, and, Meg, and, and Optimus Prime's head has been detached from his body and because uh, right. Shockwave's trying to take the creation matrix from him. Can't exactly work that into right. a Spider-Man comic book, right? No. <laughs> oh, no. No. And, and I would add, too, like Shockwave, in, in the IDW universe, they made him extremely dark. Like, he is not just the lackey that you saw in the cartoons. He is a complete, like very logic driven, you know, to the point of being like a Mengele kind of character where he's performing vivisections and experiments on Cybertronians that the other Decepticons aren't even aware of because he has his own agenda. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's way dark. <laughs> but it's it's again very well written stuff, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, through those books, we get characters, I've, you, as you talked about, like the Wreckers, who are almost like the SAS, mm -hmm. Special Forces, Dirty Dozen. Um, and it, it leads to uh, some really cool, if not, again, a little grim, um, missions um, that yeah. you know lend itself really well, story arc-wise, to if you wanted to, to segue to gaming, wanted to you know, represent some of that on a tabletop. Um, there's just yep. some great moments from all the Transformers books that sort of, I mean, giant pitched battles aren't always the easiest to represent on a tabletop, but smaller skirmishes. Yeah. I know on uh, the most recent episode of um, Transformer Chronicles that Delvin was talking about, there's that battle between Megatron and um, Shockwave. That in and of itself, depending on how nutty, crunchy rules you were getting into, could be a game in and of itself. Um, if yeah. you have, you know, two super powered individuals trying to, you know, blast one another and outsmart one another's to do that. Um, I may start with you, Jason. Jason, are there any story arcs that you can think of from the books that, you know, may lend themselves well to a tabletop setting where you have a couple, if not, you know, five to 10 models on each side, um, that would be cool just to yeah. play out? Yeah, I mean, any any of the scenarios you could have, um, basically any scenario you could play through the uh, through the comics that are there, where it could be trying to um, rescue a captured Autobot to mm -hmm. trying to uh, secure a power source or, you know, the old MacGuffin where you're trying to either get the MacGuffin before the other team or prevent them from having it in general. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot of material to draw from. And, um, you know, I, I don't think it's too hard to think about it, you know, in, in the sense that if you're making rules or you're using rules that are out there, um, it's not like you have to think of those uh, robots in like a battle tech kind of view where they mm -hmm. need to be statted out to the degree where, you know, you're measuring a blade of armor and all that <laughs> stuff. Yeah, I would honestly just treat them just like actual characters and, you know, give them a few abilities for, you know, the personalities that they have. And uh, and play through it. You know, I, I think there's a lot of possibilities out there. Absolutely. And I think we'll get into some of those game systems in just a sec. But mm -hmm. before we get to that, Delvin, is there any um, are there any conflicts in particular that you can think of that would lend itself well to uh, a nice cinematic narrative battle on a tabletop if you were going to try and game it out? Yeah, uh, you can start with the first four issues of the comic book. That's true. Where. Um, soup like when you take away from the verbosity, there was a pretty uh, good storyline involved of where 
the Decepticons were revived, and then the Autobots were revived, and the, uh, the there are more Decepticons than Autobots. So it, depending on which side you want to play, it can mm. be kind of like an Axis and Allies type thing. That's true. That's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah, you can definitely zoom out and get you know the entire conflict going. Yep. Love it. Love it. Well, I, I know of one game system that um, represents giant robots well, and I'm not talking about Battletech. We're not going to get into a game system, at least at this point, that talks about, you know, if you damage someone, oh, no, you, you've heard its right arm actuator, and now does it move? <laughs> and you're like, now let's not get into right. that level of detail. Um, so right. uh, Bot War, for example, uh, an Australian-made yeah. game um, sold by Trader Galaxy, um, though, though the characters in that are not Transformers, they are sort of self-aware robots. And, um, you know, I'm sure you could, you know, uh, fan decks it over and play it so you're able to play that. And in fact, Jason, I know that you have played uh, Transformer-esque games using Bot War. Um, do you, how do you like that game system? How do you think it plays out? Because I know it's man, I, I own the rules and I own a bunch of the models and I really just need to make the time to do it. It looks great. What do you think? Right. I, I think it's an easy entry game mm -hmm. and uh, I think it plays pretty straightforward. Um, it, it isn't uh, what I would call like a resource allocation or, or, or asset management style game mm -hmm. where you have a set number of things that you need to divvy out each game, each turn to have them be, you know, your team be able to perform their activations and such. Um, there are uh, scenarios that they have listed in the game, and uh, the powers and abilities are pretty cool that they have listed in the game as well for the different characters to use. I think the only thing that I would like is, and this is something that anyone could add in, is to make it a little bit more of a narrative-driven game mm -hmm. where maybe there could be like puzzle points on the table rather than just being a straight firefight. So there's things yeah. that that would tie into that universe that you have to resolve and then move forward with, you know, uh, for like GI Joe, I had, you know, different locations on table on the table where, you know, it could be something that ties into the MacGuffin that you're trying to find or pieces of the MacGuffin or, you know, uh, random events that happen that are, you know, pertinent or related to that genre. So I think with that added in, I think it would be a, a really good system. Yeah, I mean, especially if you tie in with, um, especially with, you know, the, the sort of the MacGuffin that appeared in almost every cartoon mm -hmm. for Transformers, which yeah. is the Energon Cubes. Um, oh, yeah. Right. Right? Like, I think you could definitely yeah. do something interesting with you capture some Energon Cubes, you know, that might have an impact later in another battle or later in the game that you're right. even playing there. Um, yeah. Delvin, you tracking what we're saying here? I know you're not necessarily a big gaming guy, but um, any thoughts? No, I'm, I'm tracking. Um, it, I, I'm not a huge gamer, but like I, I can give you a little bit more of my personal background. And yeah. I, I'm, I've always been a big fan of uh, board games and mm. game shows, for that matter. Nice. Um, and to, in addition, uh, I was fortunate uh, while I was in the Air Force. Uh, I can't remember me and some buddies. We were talking one time. This was about 10 years ago, mm -hmm. maybe a little bit le longer. And we got together and played Risk. Mm -hmm. And then Risk turned into playing Axes and Allies on mm -hmm. a monthly basis. And that, that was some of the funnest times that I had had, that I had as a, as a geek, as a nerd. Yep. That's awesome. I, my, I mean, cause I mean, you have a group of guys, we would start like six, seven o'clock mm -hmm. and we'd play all the way to <laughs> in the morning. Oh, 
So I, yeah. I have a, a little bit of experience. And so it's, it's yeah. interesting talking about it from the aspect of creating the game. So with, with Transformers, yeah. you know, there's the Energon objective and then just taking that source material from the first four, the, the Decepticons are all about strip mining resources. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it yeah. doesn't even have to just be, you know, the Energon cubes themselves. It could be some sort of production facility that they want to turn into. Yeah. Uh, right. and, and the longer that they have the production facility up, the more Energon they create, the more powerful they can get. Yeah. And it could be yeah. up to the Autobots to uh, maybe ally with humans to shut it down as quickly as possible so they won't be as powerful. Yes. Yeah. Well, just what, you, what, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I, w I was just going to say, do you guys play any of the uh, Transformer video games too? Like, I played the PS4's uh, Transformers Devastation, which was absolutely excellent. Was and it? That really? was it. Oh, my God. It has all the, uh, all the original voices from the G1 cartoon basically in it. And uh, it's a lot of fun. It's very addictive to play. But you get to play, they only give you like six different Autobots to choose from, but they mm -hmm. give you like Optimus. Bumblebee, Wheeljack, uh, uh, Grimlock, and a few others. And uh, you get to basically play like a first-person shooter-style game through that as one of those Autobots. And you're fighting a beautiful ray-traced animation style that they have, uh, nice. where it's all that G1-style art, but, you know, it's improved. Yeah. And uh, you fight everything through it. They have a, you know, a pretty interesting story. Some of it gets repetitive, but they have some really cool stuff that you do in it. So, nice. Yeah, that's, that kind of stuff would maybe you want to get back into the console gaming. I've been out of the console yeah. gaming for a long um, time. I'm telling you, you can get it cheap now too. I think it's like twenty bucks for that now for that same game. So, oh wow, <laughs> yeah, definitely gonna yeah. have to check it, it that ends, out. It not to give you a spoiler, but it ends with you like virtually fighting uh, Megatron in orbit. You know, as you're both falling, you know, back into oh. into the Earth's orbit. So awesome. that's pretty cool. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I don't know if you yeah. guys just to sort of side around. No, I have not played that game, but I definitely will be looking for it. Um, yeah. Because <laughs> I didn't have a PS4 until recently, and now I'm looking at it going, Ooh, hello, that is a PS4 yeah. game, isn't it? Mm. Right. Because um, yeah. I remember that coming out, but I didn't have the, the system then. Um, uh, just yeah. to go back to Risk, uh, they did make like a Risk, Future Risk. It was like 20. Well, did they make a Transformers Risk? Or, I thought they did. I'm not yeah. sure if they did or not, but I, I want to say they did because I remember seeing like the plastic transformer pieces for it. And oh. I think they might have made a risk version of it. Or one oh. of those Milton Bradley games, they did make uh, a Transformers version of those games that was that was put out. Yeah, because they did risk like 2450, I think was the, the title. It was some random yeah. year in the future. Uh, and I had that, yeah. and you had you know your usual ground troops and your vehicles, but then you also had mechs um, that were part of your forces, right. and that was cool. Um, but I was yeah. thinking you could easily ad adapt that for Transformers, but it sounds like they probably already did that. That seems like a, uh, a marketing uh, opportunity missed if they hadn't done that, um, just now that right. I think about yeah. it. I think that's one of the deals where they had the licensing and then they made also just like they make monopoly versions of everything. I think they mm -hmm. made a risk version of transformers as well. I, I can't, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I think I remember that coming out. 
I do remember the risk version you're talking about. That was a really cool version. It, it, it had like in the box lid, I want to say like three envelopes or something. Yes. Where if you wanted to campaign, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we, we're talking about the same thing. Yeah, that was we're a great game. objectives and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I that that's very cool. Well, um, in just to while we're talking transformer games and how to get it on the tabletop if we want to zoom it in and to get just um you know maybe a few on each side um and get sort of crunchy if you want to get especially big model wise um there are groups out there that have been playing so there was by night miniatures or night models they made the dc uh superhero game where you can play with, I think, 32 millimeter um, models, and you can play with all your favorite DC heroes. Um, at one point, they did Marvel rules, um, which they lost the license to, sadly. But there were um, so there were some fan groups that put together rules for the Marvel characters using the new DC rule set because those models already mm. existed. But somewhere right. in there, those guys also realized that the <laughs> new Transformer. Um, master class. I'm not sure the name of the toy line, but there's like a master okay. series that it's out. Um, they're really expensive toys uh, yeah, that are yeah. beautifully painted, and you can actually transform it and do that. But those are, know, yeah. yeah, those are properly scaled to the 32 millimeter models. Oh, um, wow. So there are groups out there, and in fact, I know one guy who listens to the show <laughs> has a collection of Transformers and has a set of rules to uh to run them in that game so um right. i know at one point in the early comic series what was it i think issue three spider-man's actually in it because they were thinking they would try and tie it into the regular marvel universe yeah. well if you if you want to have spider-man and megatron in one episode you know in one tabletop those rules exist yeah. that's there that's awesome um, oh wow yeah so <laughs> that was Black. That, that was Black Suit Spider-Man, right? That was, it was. Right after Secret Wars. Yeah, it was. We yeah. live in a crazy time, man. We got people <laughs> doing some. We got people doing some crazy, awesome stuff. That's unbelievable. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, Jason and I have a ton of um, full size. Well, full size, quote unquote, twenty-eight millimeter, one fifty-six scale GI Joe vehicles and um, trooper models. And I may have found some Thingiverse files um, for Transformers, namely uh, Soundwave, Megatron, and um, Optimus Prime that are uh, to scale, or that I've had printed to scale with all of my existing G.I. Joe and Cobra vehicles. Um, yeah. So they're like six, seven inches tall. Um, and I've had them printed in resin. So I just need to find the time to assemble and put them together and i also found a boutique model company that sold um the cassettes in about that scale oh, wow. if you happen to think about what that scale would be according to the comic because the comic they they were always sort of small um they were like right, human yeah. size almost so i have yeah. those models as well so and gi joe versus transformers was of course the comic and you know that has appeared many times over the years. I feel like right. um, I need to put that on a tabletop at some point. I'm not sure what rules I'm going to use, but that's just oh my God. super cool. Um, right. So again, don't don't go too far away from the source material. It, the yeah. 
the, the Decepticons were after some sort of power MacGuffin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's it. And and the Autobots had to stop them. So like GI uh, Joe went with the Transformers, you know, after, oops, sorry, we blew a Bumblebee. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cobra allied with the Decepticons. Decepticons until they realized that the Decepticons were crazy, crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, not their brand of crazy. Yeah. And I yeah. think, didn't, didn't they, isn't that the story arc too? And I might be wrong, but where they, they rebuilt Megatron because Megatron was destroyed. Mm-hmm. And that's where he takes his first form as a tank because they rebuilt him as a tank. Yeah. There have been a few stories. Uh, I, I know there was one where Megatron became a tank. The original one, that wasn't the case. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. I remember him as a tank, and I don't remember how that happened. Um, but, yeah, I feel like a Megatron tank might be something that I need for my tabletop at some point. <laughs> that would be, be incredible. Yeah. Yeah. But it is – there is something so beautiful with um, – though I haven't put together my, my 3D print models, I have blue-tacked them together for a couple size comparison shots, and having, uh, you know, Megatron, full-size Megatron – scaled next to a mobat tank is like oh, right oh, so cool um because of it's course cool it's, i think yeah sorry go ahead right i was i was just gonna say like for me like immediately when i put like a giant robot beside a tank my first thought is like it picking it up by the turret and just mm-hmm. smashing things you know oh yeah it's <laughs> it goes back to like kaiju stuff where I, yes. at that point i i want like a pro wrestling aspect to the game you know where he's able to throw that tank you know use it as a beat stick or whatever mm-hmm. else to you know everyone else that's there and i think that ties in well with the dc universe game where literally you have characters that can throw tanks and catch tanks yeah. and dodge and you have the abilities to be able to put that down and so man i don't uh, i'm i'm going to have to start playing some games because there's just too many cool <laughs> opportunities to put these things down and have a blast with it that uh that yeah, just just can't be missed can't be missed well, see, like what now I'm coming up with the question of how many Transformers would have the ability to do that with a tank. Clearly, mm-hmm. Megatron and yeah. Optimus. Yeah. But, but who? But who else would? That's well, here's point. the thing: is you re- you remember all those uh, all those cards on the back? You guys had. See, we didn't even talk about that. Let's talk about the ruby red yes. transparent slip that you have mm-hmm. where you could mm-hmm. read their stats on the back because that was like a whole other cool aspect to it. You know, it was almost like a decoder ring for the mm-hmm. for the toys themselves. So whoever, you know, wrote out the back backstory for each of those cards, like they, they set like definitive statistics there. Like, okay, his strength level is this. Mm-hmm. His agility level, I can't remember the exact stats they were. Like one one was definitely strength, and then like another one was agility or speed. Yes. Yeah. But you know, it all lends itself to gaming there, you know? It does. So, it d- does. Um I, I have a little bit of background on that guys. Bob Budiansky did the original ones. Oh, did he? Like that was that was a part of the uh, story of uh, the toys that made us. But he came up with all those specs, and he basically just made them up. But hey, they're canon now. Right. And yeah. It. Uh, let's see. Off the top of my head, uh, strength, speed, endurance, courage, firepower, rank, and a missing one. Yeah. yeah. Hey, it's better than I'm doing. Intelligence. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Intelligence, yeah. Yeah. 
see, if I was to write a game, I think I would start, you know, if I had the licensing. Let me start that mm -hmm. way. If I had the IP licensing, I would write the game exactly, you know, the statistics exactly tied to that for the game. I think that would be a really cool crossover, even down to maybe even, you know, the weird chart that they had on the back. Yeah. You know, it was neat stuff. It was. It was really cleverly put together. Um, yeah. And Delvin, I, you guys have on your show, you occasionally talk about each character's little card, right? Because this is like the G.I. Joe equivalent of, and I, again, I'm doing it, um, but like the file card on the back of the figure, except inside um, you had a card with that, like that trend it, that was sort of blank. And you put the little red, as Jason was saying, translucent card. Um, strip over the top and all of a sudden you could read the levels um you guys talk about that right and most of those match but wasn't there a couple that like you know clearly between inception and what actually happened they are wildly different like prowl is one thing on the card and a completely different character and quote unquote the real life yeah, there, there was a little bit of, like, at, at first it was basically Bible, but as mm -hmm. you started going and adding a little bit of story and license, then there are, there are probably a few characters that veered a little bit away because there's writer's preference, of course, and there's creator's license as well. And you don't, you have to have certain scenarios as well right like you want a mm -hmm. scenario where maybe megatron's a little bit more fallible like because technically megatron could never really lose to shockwave so yeah. you want to make sure megatron's a little bit weakened so shockwave wipes the floor with them mm -hmm. because you need to advance that storyline um and the, the section that we have uh for each uh, episode of transformers chronicles is uh the Transformers spotlight and john usually highlights um, one of the main characters out of the book and, and he'll read the tech specs from them and he'll give a little bit more background as well. All right, right on. Because cool. if you wanted, as Jason said, if you wanted to port that over to a game and just add some, you know, maybe some charts to compare those things as far as weapon strength and, I mean, those are literally, if you look at those statistics, they look like the statistics for characters for any given game be it D and D, be it you know Warhammer, yeah. be it you name it. It's it's those you the stats are done. You would basically just need to yeah. find some way to have maybe a point value system attached to some of those, so that you could have a quote unquote fair game. So as uh, Delvin was saying, like you would need you know you could it, it, that way you would have a balancing, so you wouldn't just have you know. Uh, Megatron, you know, walking through everyone in front of him um, as he's prone to do until he gets to Optimus Prime. But uh, yeah, wow, so many good ideas. Oh, and I just found uh, a 3D print file for uh, Starscream, which, as a Cobra Commander fan, uh, I gotta gotta get. Um, if you find one Starscream. for Devastator, yeah, let yes. me know. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. Delvin, sorry, what were you saying? I was just saying, everybody likes Starscream one way or the other. He's such a perfect, sniveling little toad. He is. <laughs> oh, yeah. So good. And it's in. if I was to have a quibble, and I have more than a couple of quibbles um, with the movies, uh, the Michael Bay movies, no less, uh, uh, it's that they did such a sh terrible job of um, <laughs> Starscream. It was like the worst. Yeah. Uh, yeah. At least they. I don't even. Yeah. I don't even recognize Michael Bay movies. 
I, I don't. <laughs> I refuse. Yeah. I did like the recent Bumblebee movie, but yeah, the other ones I, I did not enjoy at all. But that's that's like a reboot, right? It's not yeah. though though Bumblebee yeah. looks like the new Bumblebee. It is yeah. it's eighties. Um, mm-hmm. you know, that you get back to the seeker jets are actually in it, and you know, it is a yeah. it's a very different movie. If now I, yeah. I also haven't seen that. Well, I have not seen that yet, oh, okay. but I need to see that, I should say, um, because everyone yeah. keeps telling me this it. is the one that you will love. You love the 80s. You want that. I'm like, uh, yeah, I do, actually. Give me that movie. Uh, Delvin, did you see that? I have not. I wanted to, and it just kind of just fell through the cracks, and yeah. I have not seen it yet. But I heard I heard good things about it. Yeah. I heard that uh, even just watching the previews, I'm like, hold on. yeah, These yeah, actually I, look I, like Transformers. <laughs> and, and not yeah, I think, some I think you guys nightmare like that. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Skype over talking. Jason, go ahead. Right. No, I was gonna say like I I think uh, some of it like the Michael Bay movies. Um, just you know, I saw like the first one in the theater, and it gets to the point where I don't even know what I'm looking at. Right. <laughs> Maybe nope. I'm old, but I don't even know what I'm looking at. It's like just a big mass of gears turning. I'm mm-hmm. like, what is that? Is that you know who am I even looking at right now? I don't yeah. even know who that is. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So there's um there's a podcast um who a friend of mine who I grew up with who does a podcast in LA uh, the Blackcast Christian Christian does uh, Christian Blatt does the Blattcast B L A D T uh B L A D T Blattcast um and um I've been on there several times but every time I fly out to LA it's about the same time that a Transformer movie happens to come out and so without fail christian picks me up from the airport and we drive to the cinema and we sit down and you know me jet lagged off my face and him you know hopped up on too much sugar from uh concessions we then watch this movie and then go and record an episode and it is i mean it's so if you ever want to find my thoughts on transformer movies Go to the Blackcast and look, because uh, we did. We've done at least two of them at this point, uh, including the most recent, not Bumblebee, but the last Michael Bay one, Last Night or something. And it's oh, um, it's it's astonishing. And uh, yeah, just to hear uh, Christian's comedic take on it, and to hear me in the background screaming, "This is a cannon!" Um, if if you're into that, it that that exists on the internet, kids. Uh, but yeah, it's. Yeah, I'm very excited that they seem to be taking it in another direction. I mean, it's really exciting that, um, you know, the Marvel movies have done such a good job in general of presenting the the Marvel universe of, you know, the 80s and 90s um, that I was so, so, so invested in as a kid uh it's nice to see that they're kind of doing that with transformers too now if only they would do it with teenage mutant ninja turtles and gi joe then i'm going to be a happy chappy but i don't know anyway i'll get off my soapbox um delvin uh what i i know we haven't necessarily gotten into and i feel like this is probably something as uh the guys facilitating this conversation i should have started with um who were some of your favorite transformers and why because um that is one of the big questions and i clearly blew past it in our intro yeah i i do have a lot but i i was I asked that question on my show uh, to uh, John's wife, Maggie, and Mm -hmm. she kind of gave the same same answer. So I want to at least spotlight one, and that's going to be Optimus Prime. 
And Optimus, I, 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 I gravitate towards leaders, and Optimus has to be kind of a hard character to write because in a way he's kind of like Superman, and mm -hmm. but you don't want him to be too powerful. And sometimes, and so it's interesting to see how he's going to be written. Sometimes they write him as completely... I don't know, like a terrible leader almost because they're trying to make him seem like he's fallible. Mm -hmm. it, it, but they go too far with it. Sometimes they make him seem like he's too OP, too overpowered. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's always interesting to see how Optimus uh, is going to be written. Uh, out, out of the original um, 80 um, issue run, uh, Starscream was, a, was always a good character. Oh, yeah. He was he was always in the mix one way or the other where it's like, <laughs> okay, Megatron or whoever's in charge, you slip up. Don't worry. I'm, I'm, I'm behind you to slip that dagger in your back to take oh, charge. Yeah. Don't, don't worry. Exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. He like Starscream was cool as well. So those, those are at least two characters that I, I always enjoyed seeing in the comic. Mm hmm. Uh, man, I, I have to second you on Starscream. I mean, o Optimus Prime is clearly the romantic favorite and everyone loves him. So I tend to leave him off my list, but the, just, just the, uh, the interaction between, uh, Megatron and Scar Starscream was always so much fun to watch. You know, the toady minion who's secretly trying to get, as you say, slip that dagger in his boss's back and take over. Um, oh, just so cool. And then to have, you know, Shockwave, who's also, I mean, the, all three of those villain sort of leadership characters, um, were so, uh, cool and sort of menacing. I mean, I know Starscream was just a different colored seeker, but his personality was so different from the sort of bland characters that some of the other seekers were, if that makes sense. Sure um, was, yep. That, yeah, it was... There was just there was a lot to that sort of relationship between the three of those characters, um, or should I say, everyone having a relationship with Megatron. I should say not. I, I don't know if there was ever a big thing between Starscream and um, Shockwave, but yeah, it was it was cool. It was a great, and I think that really you know, as a kid at least, it made me super excited. But um, I think my favorite has to be, even saying all that, has to be Soundwave. Um, as a kid, yeah. there was no character in cartoons, full stop, that had a voice that cool. Um, and, yeah. you know, the fact that he would just hit the button on his chest and all of the little tapes would pop out. And I loved my boombox as a kid. I loved it. And so to have a toy of a boombox that then kicked out tapes that transformed into robots was so rad. And um, the fact that... You know, story-wise, whenever Energon cubes needed to be made, they just pop out of his, uh, the the case cover is yeah. little. You know, the door front door on his chest would just drop out, and I was like, "That is so cool." Um, but yeah, I don't, man, I don't know. I don't think. I mean, Jazz, of course, is always another fan fave, but um, I don't know if the Autobots ever grabbed me the same way the Decepticons did. Uh, Jason, There's how about you, man? Can I mention one more? Oh, yeah, please, definitely. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, one more, uh, Grimlock. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Grim Grimlock was always cool for me, too. And like mm -hmm. in, in, in the uh, initial 80 run, he, he evolved very much so as a character yeah. to where he was always the one, like, like a Starscream type who was always like, you know what, Optimus, you're too soft. 
I, I can I can handle the Autobots mm -hmm. much better than you could. And but the difference is, Grimlock was strong enough that he could actually back that threat up. Yes. Yeah. And so yeah, it, and so it was a he had a very good story arc through mm -hmm. through the eighty um, issues of the book, and uh, it was always enjoyable to see Grimlock. It would almost be like uh, if he took over. It'd almost be like the Hulk leading the Avengers, though. I get the feeling. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a little I, bit uh, point I and click. I still love yeah. that season two. That that season two episode where he becomes brilliant. You remember that? Mm -hmm. <laughs> the cartoon. Oh my god, that's gold. Yeah, where he like becomes smart for like one episode. Becomes <laughs> like uh, I, I think it was something where he gets like Perceptor's logic chip something switched so all of a sudden he's brilliant and then he wants to go back to being who he was before it's pretty funny yeah but, yeah mm -hmm. all right jason who is your face oh man so out of the originals i would probably say like optimus too because you know i'm drawn to stoicism and uh, optimus was always like that perfect stoic leader i think in a lot of mm -hmm. both the cartoons and the comics you know very self-sacrificing very quiet but uh confident and uh, I think out of the toys, like his toy itself was was awesome. You oh, know, the so trailer good. Mm -hmm. and the, the six wheeler, and you know, had a lot of different components to it, which made a great toy. And then out of that, also, I would say um, Soundwave for the other side, just because, like you said, the cassettes were so cool, and the ability to carry around like essentially a small army with you, and mm -hmm. you know, Soundwave had like a, a built-in DJ voice. You know, yes, <laughs> so. Yeah, it was really it was really cool stuff. Those would probably be my my favorites out of the old series. Now in the, in the IDW stuff, like Grimlock is more of like uh, he's almost a Snake Eyes kind of character. Where when the other Autobots like come into contact with him again, he's been separated from them for a long period of time, and he doesn't talk to them at all. And they're trying to engage him in conversation constantly, and he won't talk. And uh, but when a threat comes up or something comes up that needs resolved violently, then he resolves it very quickly, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. and then he may say a few words and that's it. Like he's very much, you know, he's very parsimonious with his words. He, really? he speaks very little. But yeah, it's a very interesting character that James, you know, again, James Robert writes him. In. So I like him. I actually really like a ratchet from the IDW series because ratchet in that series He's, uh, you know, he's a healer and he's a veteran and he's someone that's constantly like referring back to other things. And he's kind of a storyteller and guides. Uh, he acts as kind of like a leader where he's guiding other Autobots. I'm trying to remember the name of the combiners that are emergency vehicles. Oh, yeah. But he guides sure. them. Yeah, yeah. He guides them like individually through this this plague that breaks out where he's trying to help them basically emotionally deal with what's happening. And, you know, he's that calm, steady voice that's guiding them through the operations that they need to do. So he was a, he was a, probably my favorite character in the, in the new series. Nice. And Whirl, Whirl, Whirl is probably the other one. He is the one that I mentioned before. That's one of the former wreckers. Mm -hmm. He was the helicopter that could transform. And he's like a complete sociopath. <laughs> to the point mm -hmm. where it makes him interesting too because his motives are clearly his own and he definitely manipulates both the Autobots and the Decepticons. Nice. 
I think if yeah, yeah, if you were ever to put him on a tabletop, you could do it almost like an NPC character where, you know, yeah. maybe you know, one turn Ooh. he plays for one player, next turn you probably may play for the other, but you're not sure when. Um Right. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, I need to look There's... up some of the newer books because uh you're not the first person who said to me that they are fantastic and yeah, just need yeah. to sit down and read yeah, them. I... It's worth a buy. Nice. Well, gents, um, so I think, ladies and gentlemen, um, sadly, I think that we may have kind of come to the end of what we are going to talk about today. Um, before we go, though, I think it is uh, important to share some of the places you can find these fine gentlemen, because uh, if you have not seen Jason's stuff online, you really need to go check it out. Uh, Jason, I know that I always uh, muck up the link, so tell us exactly where we can find Dr. Mercury's laboratory. Sure. Uh, thank you. It's uh, Dr. D-O-C-T-O-R, Mercury, M-E-R-K-U-R-Y, mm -hmm. dot blogspot.com. So... Yeah, and if you, you want to see awesome... with a K, you'll find it. Yeah, that's right. Mercury <laughs> with a K. And if you want to see awesome 156 scale... Um, or other scale, uh, Transformer action. If you want to see G.I. Joe um, played on a tabletop, if you want to see Masters of the Universe, likewise being you know skirmish-level battles, man, that blog has got hobby progress. It's got conversion ideas. It's got painting guides to a degree where you talk about how you are creating these characters. And you got tons of battle reports that are written in narrative form. So you can really just get a feel for the games. Not too dry. Lots of fun. Um, as I said, it's my favorite blog. So if you get the chance, please check it out. And if you want to see some of the models that Jason's been making for the tabletop, uh, Jason, what's your Thingiverse page? I think it's... Dr. D-O-C-T-O-R underscore Mercury, M-E-R-K-U-R-Y, is my Thingverse handle. Mm -hmm. Big fan, man. Big fan. You got some very cool stuff on there. And I know you've been working on some other fun little vehicles off to the side, and I look forward to seeing uh, some of those hit the tabletop. <laughs> very cool. Thank mm -hmm. you. No worries. Uh, Delvin, now I know that I just saw a Transformers... Chronicles uh, episode up not too long ago where we were celebrating uh, your birthday. So the question is, how far in advance are you guys recording? And is there another episode of that coming out soon? Uh, we try to get one out about once a month. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, life gets in the way mm -hmm. uh, sometimes. But uh, look for one, I'd say, in the next three or four weeks or so. We're, we're, we're about, um, we don't have one in the hopper, but hold on. Yeah, we do not have one in the hopper, but there will be one recording, recorded in the next few weeks and then chopped up and uh, out online uh, a couple weeks after that. Nice. Very nice. And um, I'm looking forward very much to you guys getting to, on Her Majesty's Secret Podcast, getting to one of my favorite uh, fun James Bond uh, guilty pleasures, which is the Pierce Brosnan movies. And I am very much looking <laughs> forward to seeing what you guys do with Goldeneye. Oh yeah, we have uh, yeah. we we have two in the hopper on that one. Oh, um, nice. So we we have Goldeneye recorded, and we have Tomorrow Never Dies uh, nice. recorded as well. And I I won't give away any spoilers, but uh, except to say uh, that uh, Tina Turner's Goldeneye was amazing. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll give right? away that. Spoiler. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, man, that's got to be one of my favorite Bond soundtracks in the modern era. And that's saying something because I'm a massive fan of Bond music. And oh, that when I mean, just hear that bump, 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 bump and yes. forget about it. Right. <laughs> and then the, that <laughs> horn whale and yeah, hooks you, hooks you right. right on. Well, um, if you have not um, checked out Delvin's other shows, uh, he appears, as we said, on the Longbox Crusade. Um, if you go to, uh, I find it through the iTunes store, if you go, or podcast app, I should say, if you look up Longbox Crusade, um, there's a ton of different podcasts that go through different aspects of entertainment on there. Uh, Delvin, you're on most of them, as you said, and they are, yep. there's some hot stuff on there that I really, uh, I really enjoy. Um, really fun, uplifting stuff that's, you know, good to listen to. Uh, some podcast people get, you know, really down and, you know, critical about the stuff that they're talking about. I love how you guys, uh, you know, are fans of the things that you read and, you know, you try and point out the positives and have a good laugh in the process. And it's not, it's not, uh, it's not bitter and angry. And at the same time, uh, <laughs> you, you're giving honest opinions, which I think is rare in today's world. So I really dig what y'all do. Well, they thank you very much. Uh, it, it's definitely a, a labor of love on, on our part. And Lord knows there's enough negative stuff in the world right now. Mm -hmm. So it's nice to bring a little positivity. Yeah, that's it. Well, ladies and gentlemen, um, if you have something positive or negative you'd like to say about this show, um, you can find us on Facebook under Cast Dice, C-A-S-T-D-I-C-E. If you go to search that up, um, you'll find the Facebook page. And if you would like to send us a message saying what you loved, what you didn't love, um, things you'd like to hear about, um, I've actually gotten a record number of uh, comments and ideas uh, messages in the last week i think a lot of people listened to the rick Priestley episode and really enjoyed it um and uh had a lot of feedback for that so to all those people that were listening and for you listening now thank you very much um i know i've said it before and i don't want it to ever get old but podcasts look they don't cost money um for you to consume them they don't but these days, time, at least for people, um, <laughs> maybe my age, um, time is often more precious than money. And so uh, the fact that you took five minutes uh, or however long this episode is to sit down and listen to us today, be it on a commute or when you're painting or when you're doing whatever else, uh, it is appreciated. Thank you very much for listening. Yeah. Uh, we do really appreciate it. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, I think it's that time of night where well, we say... You're playing the games that we know and love. I hope your dice roll hot. I hope your beverages stay cold. But more than anything else, I hope you are having fun. This is Cast Dice saying good night.
Dreams are gone And that track my heart 